Today we begin our third and final sequence of the Finding Enough series. This work is part of my, my um, doctoral project, and again, I, I'm so grateful for your interest as well as your patience uh, with me during this process by putting up with three of these things. I think we'll all be able to say together after next week that we've had enough of enough. Um, but uh, it, it's something I'm passionate about, and I'm grateful for your, your interest and participation as well. After worship today, we'll gather in the fellowship hall for our third and final dialogue session where we'll discuss our sermon today as well as a blog post from someone in the minimalism community, and we'll look ahead to next week's sermon as well. I truly hope you can join me for this time of dialogue and reflection together on what it means to find and live out um, an ethic or a way of living out enough. Today, though, we begin this series with the story of the rich ruler, someone who comes to Jesus to ask him a particular question that sparks an important discussion regarding the role money and possessions play in our lives, particularly how these things can potentially keep us from finding enough, from finding joy and contentment in life. I invite you to listen with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the 18th chapter of Luke's gospel, beginning with the 18th verse. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your mother and father. The ruler replied, I've kept all of these since my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, there's still one thing lacking. Sell all that you own and distribute the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When he heard this, he became sad, for he was very rich. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard is it, it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who could be saved? He replied, What is impossible for mortals is possible for God. Then Peter said, look, we have left our homes to follow you. And he said to them, truly, I tell you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not get back very much more in this age and in the age to come eternal life. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. You know, friends, I must tell you, I love this time of year. The weather is getting milder, the leaves are changing, and of course, football season is in full swing as we're about halfway into the season now. A couple of weeks back, I had the opportunity to uh, go and watch my college team, the Michigan State Spartans, in person. Been here over six years, I don't think I brought a prop into the pulpit once, so... First time for everything. But I got to go watch my team, uh, the, the Michigan State Spartans, play at Maryland, uh, just a little ways down the road from here. 
It had been nearly 20 years since I watched my Spartans play in person. And it was a lot of fun being there, I must tell you. But unfortunately, my team has had a pretty disappointing season thus far. Um, and they lost the game. At the game, though, I found myself completely surrounded by Michigan State fans, which was wonderful. And while we were able to commiserate with each other, we also found ourselves throughout the game playing the if-only game. You know, it's, it's a game I'm sure is familiar to any sports fan, but I think all of us in general. You know, if only we had a better quarterback. If only we had a better coach. If only our defense was doing such and such. The game goes on and on and on. We get an idea in our minds that there's only one thing holding back our team from true gridiron glory. Now, I'm by no means an expert by any stretch of the imagination regarding football, but I can hardly imagine that it's ever the case that it's just one thing holding your team back. It's far more likely it's a number of uh, areas. Yet, we as, as humans tend to fixate on one thing. One thing that's holding our team back or us back. In our lesson this morning, Jesus encounters a man with what he discerns as something very significant holding him back from living into God's reign. Luke describes this man as a ruler. The Greek word is archon, a leader. Someone who is important and therefore likely wealthy. We can rightly assume that this man would have had trouble living into God's reign. The very reign being proclaimed by Jesus in the gospel. The gospel that lifts up the lowly and casts down the mighty. So this rich ruler comes to Jesus and asks how we might inherit eternal life. Jesus answers by rehashing the commandments. To which the ruler replies, I've kept those my whole life. Jesus looks at him and says, there's still one thing that's lacking. And that, as a result, he should sell all of his possessions, give the proceeds of that to the poor, and then come follow Jesus. The ruler is crushed. He cannot fathom divesting of his wealth, his stuff, and he could probably also say his status to follow Jesus. And as such, he becomes deeply distressed. Our English Bibles do a disservice, I think, to this verse here because it just says he became sad. But in fact, this is the only time Luke uses a Greek word here in in the Gospel of Luke or in Acts. That word is perilupos. And it's this deep, distressing sadness, angst, that is crushing the ruler upon this pronouncement of Jesus. It's a feeling I'm imagining many of us would have, too, if Jesus were to say these words to us. The idea of divesting of our stuff, of our status, of things we hold dear in order to follow him would be deeply crushing, would be anxiety-provoking. So this word perilupos, I think, is a very fitting one. Thankfully, though, friends, the story doesn't end here for Luke. In Matthew and Mark's versions of this story, 
the distressed rich ruler leaves the scene upon Jesus telling him this. He goes away. But in Luke's version of the story, he doesn't necessarily leave. In fact, you could probably say he sticks around because Jesus is still looking at him as he says the rest of the words in our text. And what does he say? How difficult it is for the wealthy to live into God's reign. That it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, but, and this is the important part, nothing is impossible for God. To me, the rich ruler sticking around to hear these hopeful words from Jesus offers us an invitation to put ourselves in his shoes, to stand there around the crowd of his disciples and followers, to hear these words for ourselves, to ponder this story, to take these words to heart and to discern for ourselves what role possessions play in our lives, and then decide what, what is enough. This is what we'll be doing together following worship in our dialogue session, friends. And I, and I do truly hope you can join me for this as we discern together what enough looks like for us, for our community, and for the world. Now, hearing the story from the vantage point of the rich ruler sticking around and pondering Jesus' words helps us set the stage for our discussion and our discernment of the role money and possessions play in our lives. From this angle, a couple new elements in the story emerge, I think. First, recall back to Jesus teaching the ruler about the importance of following the commandments. Note, there's an important one that's left out of this discussion at first. The commandment of caring for the most vulnerable in society. This is the commandment the ruler has yet to fulfill, and as we learned in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus last month, it is the ethical imperative of the Hebrew Bible. The ruler's lack of charity comes to the forefront, and he tells them that there is something missing, that there is something lacking, that there is something holding you back, that he should sell his stuff Distribute the proceeds to the poor and follow Jesus. Interesting, the word Jesus uses here for give to the poor is another way our, our English Bibles, I think, don't quite capture it. He uses this word diodidomai. Normally in the Gospels, when Jesus talks about giving, he uses the much simpler term didomai. But here, for this ruler who has yet to live out the imperative to care for his neighbors in need, Jesus uses this word, diadidomai. Rather than simply give, this term means to distribute, to take an active role in allocating resources for your neighbors in need. For someone like this ruler, and perhaps for us today as well, it is much easier than to pass. It's much easier to passively write a check to help your neighbors in need than it is to actively engage with the vulnerable, to build relationships, to extend a welcoming hand of hospitality. As we've learned throughout this series, our money and our resources carry the potential to give and sustain life for ourselves and our family for sure, but also for our community and our neighbors in need. A posture of diodidomai 
which Jesus commends to the ruler and us as well, challenges us not to simply give to our neighbors, but to actively build relationships with those in need, working together to ensure that not just us, but that all of our neighbors have enough to live and flourish in this world. There's another element that emerges here, and one that may perhaps be even more vital for us to grasp today. Jesus' words to the rich ruler are often seen as a scold, as limiting and belittling of those who have means. The ruler who sticks around, though saddened, I think opens the door for another way to hear Jesus' words. That is liberation. Perhaps for the ruler, Jesus' words provide not so much a scold as an invitation to be free, to be liberated, to set the ruler from living a life that is defined by his stuff, his wealth, and his status, and instead to live a life that is defined as a beloved child of God. Joshua Becker, who is a former pastor and now a leading voice in the minimalism community, has written extensively on this particular passage and Jesus' encounter with the rich ruler as part of his own journey towards living with less. He observes that for this rich man, whom he dubs the rich, young, anti-minimalist, his possessions were keeping him from truly living. Becker reflects that when he and his family began their journey to minimalism, he heard Jesus' words to this ruler with a different tone. Instead of calling the ruler to a life limited by the divestment of possessions, he now hears Jesus saying this, and this is his, his um, translation, you might say, of, this, of these uh, words from Jesus. Sell your possessions and give to the poor because your things are an unnecessary burden to you. They are keeping you from experiencing the eternal, abundant life you are asking me about. Own less stuff. Your things are keeping you from becoming all that you were intended to become. Friends, for Becker, Jesus' words are about liberation rather than limitation. They're not so much a command as they are an invitation to live a life without the clutter of things that were keeping this ruler and perhaps us today from living into God's reign here and now. Friends, our story this morning beckons us to ask ourselves, what is holding us back from finding and living out enough? What possessions or perhaps what commitments are holding us back from living a life of contentment, of joy, and of service to God? I hope you'll join me following worship as we discern and wrestle with these questions together in our effort to find and live out an ethic of enough together. Because friends, it is only together that we can discern what enough means for us. And it's only together that we might resist our culture which perpetually tempts us to want more. Jesus' invitation to the rich ruler provides an opportunity for liberation, to be freed from the things that hold us back from finding enough and participating in God's reign. Regardless of what things might be holding each of us back from finding enough, 
Jesus affirms that such liberation can be found through an active posture of giving, of diadidomai, enacted in relationship with our neighbors in need. This encounter is a bold reminder to us, friends, and it's a reminder of the message that we have found ourselves saying throughout this series. We are not our stuff. We are not our bank balance. We are not our profession. We are not our status in this world. We are beloved children of God. And that, friends, is always, always enough.